Okay. Levels are looking good. Oh man. Um, where did we... Ah! Got it. It's 1969. Still. Easy Rider was a whole thing. Oh, I've got a helmet. <laughs> Billy Jack, too. Miracle Mets, Smile Eye Massacre, Manson Family Murders, uh, Woodstock. That is not a badly beat up section of Moonscape. It's a photograph from the air of that Woodstock music festival. Meanwhile, Clark Kerr, former UC president and unofficial co-founder of UC Santa Cruz, is about to show up to the commencement ceremony for UCSC's first ever graduating class. It's a big deal. And, if you'll recall, in part one of The Worst Afternoon of Clark Kerr's Life, which you should definitely listen to before this one, we heard fourth-year history student Kate Howells mention that some students were planning something for this commencement. Something disruptive, something dramatic. Keeping in mind, of course, that most commencements sound like this. Graduates and families, again, congratulations and welcome, everyone. We're gathered here today at the heart of this beautiful You know, formal, serious, a bit boring. That's how UCSC's commencement started. But it would not stay that way for long. My name's Kyle, and you're listening to the UCSC Slugcast, brought to you by the Division of Student Affairs and Success. I give you, after months and months of waiting, I'm so genuinely sorry if you've been waiting for this, the worst afternoon of Clark Kerr's life, part two, the final part. As the crowd of administrators, faculty, students, and family members settled into their seats, dressed in graduation gowns and formal dress, I imagined that relief and excitement mingled with anxiety and trepidation. The prior few months had been filled with protests, building takeovers, and simmering tension between the administration and its students. But at least everyone was here. UCSC's first graduating class, there they were. They were chattering amongst themselves, shielding their faces from the sun. Clark Kerr, there he was, even, sitting on stage in a ridiculous gown, chatting with his old Stanford buddy, McHenry. Maybe things were finally getting back to normal. After a few formalities, a student speaker took the stage. It was fairly routine. Then another one took the stage and performed their thing. Again, standard graduation stuff. Then, a third student took the stage. And right at that moment, the worst afternoon of Clark Kerr's life began in earnest. Donald Clark, the founding director of McHenry Library and Master of Ceremonies at the time, remembers the speech. The administration had, through suggestions from the provost, picked three students to speak, one girl and two young men. I don't recall too much about the first two speakers, but I vividly recall the third one, 
went on and on and on and on and made a really violent attack upon the university in Clark Kerr, and in the middle of it took it upon himself to bring the academic graduation to an end and have a meeting of the Free University of Santa Cruz to award an honorary degree to Huey Newton. Okay, so much just happened, so let me break it down really quick. The student ended graduation, or he tried to anyway, then he called a meeting of the Free University of Santa Cruz. Try as I might, I can't find any other existing references to that online, so I'm just going to assume it was an umbrella term for anti-establishment UCSC students. And after that, he awarded an honorary degree to Huey P. Newton, who, if you aren't aware, co-founded the Black Panther Party in 1966. As the sixth week of trial begins for Huey Newton, spectators and news... At the time, Newton was in jail for the voluntary manslaughter of a police officer, though the conviction would be overturned two years later. Anyway, the speech's biggest spit in the face was directed at Clark Kerr. In short, the speaker accused him of creating UC Santa Cruz to distract young people from the revolution, to dull their subversive ardor with a beautiful, natural campus, and funnel them thus deadened into the capitalist machine. The Vietnam War was a part of the plot too. Brainwashed students make for better soldiers. Okay, here's a fair question. Was any part of this true? I know I, I should be considering every angle here, but no, no part of that specific claim is true. It succeeded in one thing, though. It hurt Clark Kerr. It hurt him a lot. Last month, the president of the United States said nothing you young kids would do would have any effect on him. Any effect on him. Clark had moved heaven and earth to make the Santa Cruz dream come true. It was, in a sense, the distillation of everything he had learned over the course of his legendary career in higher education. He wanted to make a school that loved its students, that didn't make them feel like tiny Kongs in a massive machine. That day in July should have been a moment of untainted joy. The first graduating class had made it to the finish line. Clark had succeeded. But the accusation, coming no less from a member of UCSC's graduating class, clearly made Clark wonder whether he had succeeded. In creating UCSC, had he simply created a breeding ground for aspiring revolutionaries whose final act as a part of their school was to summarily reject everything it stood for? Finally, after 45 long minutes, the speaker sat down. A wounded yet determined Clark Kerr took the pulpit. I said that it had been a long and hot afternoon, and I was not going to add to either the length or the heat of the occasion. True to his word, Clark didn't say much. I said I was in sympathy with their views about the Vietnam War, 
but thought that their means of protest against the war were very counterproductive and hoped that they would give some thought to whether or not the means they used were in accord with the high ideals they professed to hold. I then sat down. That was it for Clark. He didn't speak again, and soon afterwards the commencement drew to a close. Donald Clark, founder of McHenry Library, weighs in. I was able to read the speech he would have given. It's too bad, because this was after Clark had been fired by Reagan and company. Clark was talking about the role of the university in student relations and the like. I think the students would have been amazed at some of the things he was ready to say. But the day still wasn't over. After a brief ceremony, Clark and Chancellor McHenry began awarding diplomas. Immediately after receiving theirs, one student decided to throw it back at them. Then another student did. Then another, and another, and another, tossing diplomas towards these two men, some even shouting slogans into the crowd as they did so. Finally, after the last diploma had been awarded, and after the last diploma had been thrown, the day drew to a tense and uncomfortable, but welcome, end. After that day, life continued at UC Santa Cruz. Most of the administrators and faculty wrote commencement off as a bad memory and tried their best to move on. John DeZekis, history professor and future provost of Cowell College, called the afternoon unsatisfactory and destructive, an act geared more towards throwing weight around than actually changing things for the better. Still, though, part of him admired the whole thing. It made the administration take students seriously. If you did it my way, standing outside and arguing and discussing, you might do that for 10 years and not get anywhere. So I think some of it was excessive, okay, but much of it ultimately was justified. It is better to be excessive in caring, in being involved, than to be indifferent. The tendency for students in institutions is to be cautious and careful and indifferent. This argument, that big political gestures do get students engaged in campus politics, felt familiar to me. Then I remembered Glenn Omatsu, a fourth-year psychology student, political activist, and outspoken UCSC critic, had basically said the same thing in his interview with Elizabeth Calciano. This recording was made in between the occupation of Han student services and the two-day strike, so it would have been spring 1969. If you've walked into the dining room since the occupation, since this thing started about the strike, you'll find that many, many very interesting and very, you know, cogent conversations are going on just on the question of what is education, what is education to me, what does this university mean to me, and I think that's generally a good thing that's happening. Later, he addressed fears that the university would devolve into anarchy. This action that's being taken right now, that's being planned to uh, be taken, is just one step, one step uh, just to make the people start to think. And from this, once you start, once you start a lot of people thinking, uh, action will follow. And I, I think that because the people are thinking, the action which will follow will be a rational type of action. It won't, it won't lead to anarchy. So, this begs the question, what did that afternoon in 1969 lead to? There are a few arguments. One is that the revolutionary spirit of the 1960s never left Santa Cruz. 
it'll always be a protest campus, a hub for deep, creative, radical thinking, both within the UC system and nationwide. Maybe Omatsu was right. The protests of 1969 banished apathy from the school's halls forever. But those of you listening right now, you're probably shaking your heads. You might even think that UCSC is more quiet and apathetic now than it ever has been. You might remember the picket lines during the big cola strike in late 2022, which, while consistent, had a pretty mediocre turnout most days. That latter part certainly seemed true after 1969. Things just felt quieter afterwards. And that means something, even if it means that the 1960s were just so incredibly loud. Kenneth Tiemann, founder of Crown College, sums it up. Those were the times. Thank goodness that's all over. It's curiously different now. It all stopped in 1972. Suddenly. Whatever the case, the 1970s did spell the beginning of a new era for UCSC. One that many now characterize as the lowest point in its history. At the start of the 70s, UCSC's reputation as the laid-back, experimental UC just seemed unpopular. The average SAT scores of new freshman classes tanked 200 points. Even worse, from 1970 to 1973, the city of Santa Cruz was sensationalized as the murder capital of the world, following a string of murders by serial killers Herbert Mullen and Ed Kemper. The fact that several of Kemper's victims were UCSC students certainly didn't help matters. It wasn't like this forever. In the late 1970s, Chancellor Robert Sinsheimer came to the rescue with a group of policies called the Sinsheimer Reforms, designed to get UCSC back on its feet. They included advocating for a traditional grading system, which finally went through in the late 1990s, more focus on majors like computer science and engineering, and eventually setting the stage for UCSC's involvement in the Human Genome Project. These reforms, among others, are a key part of why UCSC is the highly respected, fairly conventional research university it is today. But that's not the way it was in the 70s. Then it looked like the school was a failed experiment, washed up on the shores of 1960s counterculture. It's with these troubling thoughts that we find Clark Kerr again. That day in July should have been a moment of untainted joy. Clark had succeeded, it did. But the accusation, coming no less from a member of UCSC's graduating class, clearly made Clark wonder whether he had succeeded, it did. Either in creating UCSC, had he simply created a breeding ground for aspiring revolutionaries whose final act as a part of their school was to summarily reject act, act everything it stood for? After that heinous afternoon in 1969, Clark Kerr didn't visit UC Santa Cruz for another two years. In his memoir, Kerr writes... I should not have been so surprised by the Santa Cruz commencement. And he's right. 
Just a few months before that afternoon, Clark had attended a commencement at Brandeis University in Massachusetts, where a student took the stage and called the dean Brandeis Hitler. Just the day before that, he'd been at the commencement of Oberlin College in Ohio, where a radical local politician accused Oberlin of forcing a racist education on their students. Kerr both saw the UCSC commencement debacle coming and was absolutely blindsided by it. After all, as I told you earlier, he had explicitly planned against it by rejecting the large impersonal multiversity model that made students feel alienated and picking a chancellor that he trusted and creating a campus that felt distinct, creative, and friendly. He thought that UCSC was stormproof. But he didn't anticipate the 1960s. He didn't anticipate the many problems that UCSC had at the time. No one did. And so we leave Kerr in the 1970s. His career ended up taking off again. He led the Carnegie Commission on Higher Education for a few years, which is a big deal. But UCSC didn't follow him. Instead, it would muck through the 1970s with a subpar reputation, which only began to improve in the decades that followed. That's not where our story ends. UC Santa Cruz redeems itself, remember? Sinsheimer, the Human Genome Project, the Association of American Universities, we know that now. But did Clark? The hopes had sometimes been disappointed and the costs, though mostly known to exist in advance, had sometimes been greater than earlier estimated. But Santa Cruz, I concluded, was a better campus for its individuality and the University of California a more diverse institution for the presence of Santa Cruz within the system. Clark Kerr published his memoir in 2001 and died two years later. He'd seen enough. And here's to hoping that what he saw growing again at UC Santa Cruz, a successful experimental university unlike any other, was enough to help him forget the worst afternoon of his life once and for all. That's it for this story. Again, you've been listening to the UCSC Slugcast brought to you by the Division of Student Affairs and Success. 
This episode would not have been possible without two foundational texts. Clark Kerr and the founding of UC Santa Cruz by Randall Jarrell, and Seeds of Something Different, an oral history of the University of California Santa Cruz, published by the UC Santa Cruz University Library's Regional History Project. Both of these works supplied me with audio and interview transcripts abounding. I highly suggest you check them both out if you're interested in the stuff like I am. A ton of my friends helped voice this project and thus bring it to life. The cast includes... Lonnie Magana as Elizabeth Calciano. Grady Clark as Donald Clark. I hate this part. <laughs> I don't want to say my name. <sighs> Mel Kodakopoulos as John DeZykes. I was just saying my name and then as so-and-so. As. Okay, okay. Nefred Allen Cantu as Kenneth Tiemann. And starring Al Tonkovich as Clark Kerr. And finally, thank you for listening. Kyle, out.